Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up late on a Tuesday night, probably Wednesday morning when you're listening? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got a heavy basketball pod for you guys today. I talked with former Anity Kennedy staffer Bracken Ray about the Chris Beard hire. Uh, I attended the Chris Beard press conference on Tuesday, so we dove into all angles of that hire. Bracken offered some really incredible insight on Chris Beard's philosophy as a head coach, what this means for the Ole Miss basketball program, the optics around hiring him, and really just the full gamut of uh, all Chris Beard discussion and some March Madness stuff at the end because this is March, as John Rothstein says. Anyway, buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. But before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you, podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, and the godfathers of March. Skybox absolutely dominates college basketball. If you're thinking about going into March Madness and putting some skin in the game, you are absolutely screwing up if you're not using Skybox. Their March Madness package is live on the site. They are the only consistent way to profit in the long run. They hit well over 65% in college basketball each year. That is their bread and butter for their algorithm. You need to sign up before you enter that Thursday, this Thursday. We all know what it is, 16 games, 16 games Friday. You're going to lose money if you don't have the pros guiding you. Skybox is a foolproof system that will consistently lead you to profit in the long run. All you have to do is go to skyboxsportspicks.com, buy a picks package that fits your price range, March Madness package, highly recommend. Type in the promo code RIPPY, that'll get you 20% off, and then boom, you're going to profit this March. You pretty much guaranteed it. Without it, you probably lose money and have to be paying the bookie for the next two weeks. That's never fun. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Again, type in that promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. You get 20% off. They'll email you the picks in a color-coded spreadsheet by units, nice, neatly categorized, and you are more equipped to profit than anyone else you know, and particularly all your dumb friends who are taking picks in the group me last minute. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's. University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me. Got some basketball news earlier in the week. I have some baseball stuff before Ole Miss enters conference play. And you get discounted meats. Right now, the deal is for Rippy Wright subscribers, it is three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. All you have to do is go into LB's, show them proof of subscription, and they'll get you set up. That's a hell of a way to quick start the grueling weekend. That's about a $40 valuation there that you're getting for 20 bucks, and you're getting delicious fillets. How can you beat that? Once you go in there and get that, find all your own favorites. There's all kinds of fresh seafood, sausages, different cuts of meat. I love the tri-tips. The fillet burgers are to die for. Go find your own favorite sausages there. It's the best selection of sausage in the world. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. It's a staple of the community. Have mad respect for the business that Greg's built. It's just really the crown jewel of the town. If you're into grilling, you need to go to LB's in Oxford. Travel there. Even if you're not in Oxford, make the trip up. It's well worth the time. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Here is our basketball discussion with our man, Bracken Ray. All right. We now welcome on former Andy Kennedy staffer, Rippy Wright's basketball correspondent, Bracken Ray. Much to talk about. We talked with you, I don't know, a little over a week ago when Ole Miss was in the knee-deep part of its hiring process. They have since hired Chris Beard, um, and Ole Miss basketball is relevant again, man. How are you? 
I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, I was told I got a text today that I needed to start my uh, podcast out, giving a shout out to the back-to-back women's NCAA tournament appearances. So shout out Coach Yo. But yeah, big day, big times in Oxford today. So a lot to unpack there. Yeah, Yo has done one hell of a job, and it's a very fascinating story from in terms of like how she got the gig to what she inherited. It it it's pretty incredible stuff. So shout out to them as well. I actually attended, uh, as we record this on a Tuesday evening, about 45 minutes, I actually attended the Chris Beard press conference today um, as a stringer for the Associated Press. First press conference I've been to, I think, since I left journalism full time. So got to pretend to be a big J again for a day, which meant I complained about the free food and accommodations. Um, I scowled at the sight of children that really any child to just cross my eyesight and i made sure i told everyone how much i love jason isbell so basically i just did all big j things but uh no not really but it was a interesting press conference to a number of degrees this is definitely going to be a rapid reaction show because i got home sat down really kind of sent you a link and we were off and running what did you i guess we'll start let's back up a little bit actually let's start with the hiring because we haven't talked to you since he got hired how surprised were you that Keith Carter and Ole Miss actually decided to pull the trigger on this and pull this off? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say a little bit for sure. Um, I've been hearing this name for six weeks probably now, and, you know, two weeks ago um, was starting to hear from people inside of college basketball how serious this thing was. And, you know, Keith's words, not mine, as he went throughout the process, um, he felt more comfortable with it. and. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's his decision on how he feels and if this could be a liability, you know, long-term or not off the court, but, you know, on the court, this is a top five college basketball coach, um, right now. So I, you know, it it was a little surprising, um, and it it was a little surprising that he, he actually did it. I didn't think at times he would think a lot of people thought that he was going to kind of settle, um, with Dusty May, but. This is a top five coaching hire. And, you know, one thing you and I discussed earlier is this is a guy that's got a lot of connections and is very respected, um, you know, in the college basketball circles as well. Speaking of connections, you're about as plugged in as anybody on this search. And I can't emphasize that fact enough. And I'm just curious, the timeline of all this is pretty interesting to me because you had an initial and I'm going to get the dates all wrong. I actually have a question later about a date Keith Carter mentioned, but it seemed like there was some late February buzz about Chris Beard and kind of kicking the tires Mm -hmm. and doing the, you know, initial kind of sniffing around the situation and then it felt like kind of that first week of March, it got really cold and then it heated back up this past week. Uh, and weekend and really by the end of last week it seemed like everyone kind of knew what was going on I would say it really cranked back up with the alleged meeting uh, last Monday which would have been I guess what March the 6th somewhere around there when it was reported that they had met with them um, at what point did you start to get the sense that okay it's either Beard or I don't know who the hell else it is because that's pretty quickly what it became after kind of a brief lull period. It was very odd how that played out. You don't always see it kind of handled that way because usually where there's smoke, then there's fire, and then it happens. This one almost had water dumped on it in the middle, kind of, and then heated back up, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would say for me it was probably right before the SEC tournament uh, started because – you know, I don't know if this is out there yet, but I think that Dusty is going to get a contract extension at FAU. And, you know, that may be something that's on his desk. He may sign soon, whatever the case may be. Um, and so 
I knew that that was a name that Keith was always going to look at. And, you know, we call it seven to nine days ago. I kind of sat there and I was like, I am not hearing names that aren't Chris Beard. Right. Um, so then once, you know, Monday or Tuesday, um, you know, of SEC tournament week starts, you kind of start hearing buzz about, you know, what a staff would look like. Um, and, and, you know, different calls have been made, so on and so forth. At that point, you know, if you ever hear staff build out or you hear recruits are talking about, you know, going to visit a school because of a coach, you're like, this thing's done, right? And so I think that timeline-wise, at least verbally, seven or eight days ago, um, today being March the 14th, but seven or eight days ago, um, this thing kind of was unofficially official. Um, and look, I'll, I'll say this. It's a it's an advantage in a way because Beard has probably been able to, um, you know, maybe reach out to, to recruits and um, obviously put a staff together um, a week before Selection Sunday. Um, so with the transfer portal opening back up, there's a lot of big advantages to that as well. And um, so timeline-wise, you know, he may have a leg up on especially with you know on-campus visits and stuff like that then maybe some of these teams that are playing in the tournament today you mentioned it kind of being a a a done deal you know kind of handshake agreement seven to eight days ago i'm just curious i may be asking you an impossible question here but why do you think it took the seven to eight days to, to get to the announcement i'm not criticizing it per se by any stretch there was just kind of a prolongated period of silence i think most people that were kind yeah. of on the situation well one you still had Ole Miss playing in the SEC basketball that's right and I think that's part of it but I was a little surprised like it didn't come out after they lost Thursday or on Friday like what do you think led to them waiting until Monday do you have any clue yeah I mean I I 100% think not know but think that it's a it was a PR play of hey when when do we announce this and um now why does Monday make more sense than a Friday news dump I don't know. There are people that get paid a lot more money to, to do that than I would know. But um, or how I think about that Sunday during the selection show? Yeah, or Sunday during selection show. And, you know, kids are out on spring break today. And so I don't know. You know, there, but I think it all has to do with uh, the PR to it. But like I said, um, hey, this thing got announced or had the press conference in the intro today. Uh, but I think work has been done, you know, calls have been made, whatever the case may be, probably probably for, you know, close to a week now. So, um, so yeah, that, that's that's my thoughts on that. Can you uh, – you mentioned earlier being a little bit of an advantage, him having a little bit of a head start and kind of calling recruits and stuff. I asked this somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Can you commit NCAA violations if you're not officially employed anywhere? Isn't he just an average Joe? I, you know, um, I, I don't think you can. And one thing that is is interesting about that, too, is like um, there is some advantages to back in the day, um, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, you would see a lot of high school coaches that um, would get hired in like the second or third assistant spot at some of yeah. these high major, mid major schools. Well, one of the advantages is, you know, if you waited to hire that high school coach um, until the summer, that high school coach could be attending AAU events and things like that as a high school coach, having casual conversations. They can have interactions 
with parents during dead periods where college assistants couldn't, whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, I, I don't think – I don't know if Beard has talked to players before he was hired. I definitely think staff has. But there is some advantage kind of going back to that high school reference of, hey, you know, if you're not technically a college coach, you know, maybe there are some positive things you can do. As far as the scope of this hire, and we can get in, I don't think it's, I think it's impossible to avoid at least some conversation on the other stuff, but just from a pure basketball perspective, I've seen a lot of chatter. People are rightfully excited about it from a basketball standpoint because of really the whole reason he was hired, right? This is not anywhere close to a caliber of coach that Ole Miss could have hired under normal circumstances. Of course, the circumstances surrounding his firing at Texas is why he became a candidate at Ole Miss and ultimately why he's the head coach at Ole Miss today. But there's been a lot of questions like, is the most is this the most accomplished coach Ole Miss has hired? I've even seen not just basketball in any sport. How, how would you kind of frame this in terms of the caliber of this hire for a basketball program that for much of its history has been the doormat of the SEC? Well, look, like I said, this is one of the top five coaches in the country, in my opinion. And this is this is definitely a very you know corny comment. I'll go ahead and admit that. But if you look at Ole Miss and specifically your diehard football fan base, maybe a third of that fan base is diehard basketball. And that yeah. number may even be aggressive, whatever the case may be. Chris Beard is going to teach this fan base how to love college basketball. He's going to bring energy, excitement. He's going to bring top-tier talent. He's going to bring a good brand of basketball to play. And more, most importantly, he's going to win. So I, I think for this program, and you can look at it even long-term, what happens if, you know, three years to half a decade from now he leaves, it, it's going to be so huge for this fan base, um, you know, fr from a basketball program standpoint. It's, it's, it's elevating the program um, because he what he brings in. And he, he's really good. He's not going to do the whole freeze, like, you know, super corny thing with social media, but there's a lot of stuff from getting students involved. He has this thing called fireside chats the night before games with, you know, former players or media members, whatever the case may be. He's very, you're going to feel like, you know, him um, a little bit more modern version and more proactive version of Mike in some ways um, from kind of getting the community involved. And yeah, for those that's that a watch great the intro, yeah, and so for those that watched the intro and press conference today, like he's he's phenomenal. Um, he's phenomenal in that setting. He, he's one of the best that you'll see. Um, so, you know, just a ton of when you look at him, he's a CEO and just going to check a ton of boxes for this program that to Keith's point today in his intro has had some success here and there, but hasn't been able to put it together for long periods of time. Yeah, I think that's well said. And a quick sidebar before I get to my next question for you. The, the fireside chats were mentioned a couple times. I feel like I'm pretty locked into college sports, you know, with whatever this podcast is and this side hustle thing is now. I try to know as much as I can. I, I was completely unaware of this. Can, can you take me through? What is that? What is What does he do? What is the fireside chats with Chris Beard? Is it? Remember, Mickelson had that nice little run before he became problematic on Twitter where he just did fireside chats with Phil. Is it similar to that? Like, what is this fireside chat thing? Yeah, so it's like um, it's probably like a fifteen-minute long, just real like casual kind of talking personal, talking life, and then talking profession with just all sorts of different personas. So I'll give you a few examples off the top of my head from Texas. He did one with Sark 
He did one with Matthew McConaughey, uh, Jay Billis. He'd do some with former players of his. When uh, Tennessee played the SEC Big 12 Challenge in Austin, he brought Rick Barnes into his fireside chat. So the night before the game, they're about to play each other, and they're having these fireside chats. So th- the thing that I think is really interesting about it is, if you think about it, the head coach is the one always being interviewed. Well, Beard's like, hey, I kind of I want to do this thing where – where flip the script where I'm interviewing, you know, the, the other person. And it's normally at least locally to that school. It's a very relevant person or nationally. I mean, he'll bring in, you know, a guy like, uh, like a Jay Billis. Um, if they're ever playing, like if, if we have a uh, game day in town or whatever the case may be. So I'd encourage everybody to go um, watch a few of the clips. You can just, you know, fireside Chris Beard, and you'll be able to see it. My favorite one probably is the one with Rick Barnes, just because Rick coached there at Texas, and then you know he came back. So um, really neat, really neat thing. And he's very proactive from a, a media standpoint as well. I'm going to go back and watch it as soon as we get done with this podcast, as I finally kind of get a second to breathe um, after this whole uh, this quite the Tuesday. Um, but so as the the next thing I was going to get to is you mentioned you know, everything talking about him making Ole Miss fans love basketball. And I think one of the things that probably encapsulates this hire pretty well is whenever Ole Miss has hired a coach in the past, and they haven't had to hire too many, largely because of the long-term success and the long run at Ole Miss, the year guy AK had. But it's always a question of, can this guy recruit here? Can he win? Will he win? Will he be able to put it together? What kind of staff will he put together to put to get players to win consistently Whereas this is a totally different conversation. It is when he's going to win and how quickly he's going to win, which yeah. is such a different type of conversation and such a different stratosphere in terms of the lens through which you view Ole Miss basketball and the expectations. Like I think maybe the most shocking revelation at outcome of all of this, I guess would be the better word, is if he just went, I don't know, 12 and 20, 15 and 15, 12 and 20, and he was just done in three years, right? That would go against everything he's done anywhere he's been. And that probably underscores this hire from a basketball standpoint. The best is that it's not if, it's when. And that's essentially what Ole Miss bought in this hire is as good of odds as possible for sustained success, really, for the first time in its history. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, if there is Vegas line right now, I would would put money that we'll make the tournament next year. Hit me with that uh, one that you showed me the other day. Uh, you texted me the other day. Do you do you have? Is that, yeah. Do you have that? I, I, yeah, I have it, and um, I was sent that, and I think there were some inaccuracies in it. So we're gonna okay. find a new okay. one we'll, before we'll we before we before we publicize that. But um, no, I mean, look, this is a guy that you know. It, it, if you look at what he did at Little Rock, I think the year before he got there. What, what's really funny is our staff when I was working for the team was very close with Beard staff. So that year that he was at Little Rock, they went on that run. We played them in our secret scrimmage um, because our staff was really close to Beard. So Beard has – he's been in the pavilion before. He talked in his uh, intro today about how he's been on the square. He's seen Oxford. And, look, I I really think that – I know we kind of, you know, overplay the Oxford and the campus angle and stuff like that. But, you know – I really think Chris Beard wanted this job. Um, like, I think if some other high majors had looked at him, this is the SEC. He gets to go play against some schools, you know, in, in the state of Texas um, by being here now. Like, I think this was 
an attractive job to him. And so, um, uh, but yeah, I think that going back to the, the little rock piece, it's, Hey, he won about, they won 12 games a year before he got there. He wins 30 and then beats, I believe a five seed Purdue in the NCAA tournament year one. So if you look at it, Ole Miss has to have guys that can flip rosters. They got to be able to use the transfer portal because of the resources available to them. He did that at little rock. Then he goes to Texas Tech. Texas Tech right now is a really good job. They've got a great arena, a lot of NIL money because they went to a national championship game a few years ago. But that job was not um, significantly better than Ole Miss when he took it over. We saw what he did there. Texas, small sample size. We saw a lot of the momentum, and you kind of see, you know, even after he left, Rodney Terry just won the Big 12 by 20 points, you know, the other night. And they've got – I think they're – two or three seed in the tournament, they've got a shot. So I, I think he can he can kind of do it anywhere. I think the way that he will build this staff, this group out is give or take, you know, three guys off the current roster from Kermit. And, you know, he'll he's got high school connections, maybe three or four high school guys. And then look, I, I really think there will be seven or eight transfers on this roster. Really and truly. I think he's going to go get seven or eight transfers in year one. And then you'll kind of see it balance out a little bit more, you know, year two, year three, year four going forward. One of the things that it gives credence to what we've discussed regarding kind of the making people of Ole Miss basketball, forming relationships and all that. He mentioned multiple times today in his press conference about he's a huge relationship guy. He had his first athletic director at, uh, I forget the name of the school, so forgive me for that, but from somewhere in Texas that gave him his first job. That yeah. guy was in attendance and shouted him out and he stood up for a second in the presser. He called himself an open book, described his coaching career as an open book for the last 25 years and really stressed the relationship aspect enough. And the thing that I wanted to kind of transition into make after making that known is, you know, when you, when you hear people talk about particularly in and around coaching circles with Chris Beard and Neil wrote a very good story from Nashville last week in which he got yep. some on the record comments from sec head coaches and assistant coaches about him. It's like, he's a junkie. He doesn't have any other hobbies. It's all basketball all the time. And there are cliches when it comes to new coaching hires, and you could probably categorize a couple of those lines in there as some of them, but that's a different type of descriptor than you get with other guys. Like, oh, he's a great dude, or he'll do great there, great person, love him, blah, blah, blah. This was a very specific type of praise or a specific type of description. As someone who's worked in the coaching industry, how would you best articulate Guys that are good at their job, guys that maybe aren't that good at the job, and dudes that just do it tirelessly. Like, what's the difference between a tireless guy and an already competitive industry? If that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, he it, it is a it's a it's a grind of an industry, right? And it 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 eats people up, spits them out, the whole deal. You're not going to find many people that this dude the the way this guy grinds and the way his staff grinds is on a completely different level, um, and. You know, one thing that was talked about today in the press conference is Keith's talked to national championship winning coaches and, you know, other people who speak super highly of Chris. Chris is very respected in the coaching circles. Circles, You'll find a very small amount of people that, um, you know, dislike him. That leads to two things that are going to be a positive for Ole Miss. A, if you have those solid relationships, that can help a ton with non-conference scheduling. And from day one till – you know, today, Ole Miss has never really scheduled strong, you know, non-conference strength of schedules. 
Part of that's having an ability to, right? So you dealt with some of that when you were. You're right. You're right. So some of that is, hey, you're like 75 and then that you're too good. You know, you're kind of like you're not a trap game. You're not a cupcake, but you're just kind of in the middle to where you're not sexy enough to play teams, but you're not bad enough for it to be an automatic win. So we were kind of in this gray area. Kermit probably experienced some of that as well. But Beard has a, you know, his network is huge um, to where. I think next year, you know, there'll be multiple P5 schools uh, that he sets home and home ups with. The second piece is a lot was talked today about, hey, his relationship and the respect he has from college coaches, meaning head coaches that are on the same level as him from a title standpoint. But one thing that was not talked about a ton today is the staff, right? And so Beard he's not a guy that's known to be this super arrogant guy in coaching circles. And so now they they work really hard, but this means that he's able to put really good staffs together, which I've talked for years about to you about how, Hey, those assistant spots are super important. If you had taken Chris Beard out of this coaching search and said, Hey, Dusty, Paul Mills, Pat Kelsey, you know, Grant McCaslin, whoever the case may be, I would have liked to see their assistant staffs before I graded their hires. That's how important it would be. Um, And so Beard puts a great staff together. And so I want to kind of go through his first staff at Texas just to show you how crazy this is, because he may have assembled year one, one of the best staffs in the country his first year at Texas. So assistant head coach Rodney Terry, who's their interim right now, he stole Rodney Terry from being UTEP's head coach. Okay, so this guy was the head coach at a conference USA school, stolen. All right, number two, Jarrett Howard, Bill Self's best recruiter at Kansas. Had been with him for half a decade. Stole Bill Self's best recruiter from him at Kansas on a staff. Ulrich Malagai, one of the best recruiters in the country, um, has you know been in Texas forever, okay? Then support staff, Chris Ogden, um, who they he was his general manager, Chris Ogden in a support staff role, head coach at UT Arlington. Parker yeah. Sexton, that last name probably rings a bell. Jimmy's son, support staff. Then he had another guy on his staff that was a former G League head coach long term. So a lot different than the days of, hey, two out of the three spots being guys that we plucked from mid-major jobs. Um, and, you know, I don't know that day one um, he'll have that kind of staff, you know, here at Ole Miss, but he definitely will have – he'll be in that top-tier staff in the SEC. And, you know, at, at Ole Miss, that's all you can ask for. And that all – everything you just said, out it really kind of throws – or it underscores the whole win-not-if thing, right? Because that's the whole thing yep. with other coaches at Ole Miss. It's like, can you put together a staff to get players and can you win? And with him, like you said, you don't even really have to wait to see how he's going to build the staff because you know it's going to be a good one. I'm just curious, how do you think he did that? Because at the time that you're talking about, yes, he went 30-5 and five in Little Rocky year one, but, you know, not that many people know who Chris Beard is at that time. How do you think he was able to do that, particularly when everything you hear, too, is like, hey, he's hard on his assistants. He works them as tirelessly as he works. How, like, What do you think is the secret sauce, for the lack of a better phrase? Well, we've talked, um, you know, we've talked a long time about Kermit's biggest flaw was player evaluations, right? Yeah. Chris Beard is damn good at coach evaluations. Um, 
his his staff at Little Rock, um, Brian Berg and uh, Wes Flanagan were two of those guys. I can't remember who the third guy was. Berg just spent, you know, the last half decade being Georgia Southern's head coach. Flanagan became Little Rock's head coach and then now is an elite SEC recruiter under Bruce Pearl. So from a coaching tree standpoint, he's got a he's got a great eye for talent from a coaching standpoint. But the way the reason he's able to build staffs out is because he's so respected. Um, he also he also makes it a big priority, and this will be something interesting to keep an eye on because that the contract came out for Beard today, but the staff stuff didn't. He makes it a big um, a, a, a big priority when he gets a job for staff salaries to be pretty big. Lane's done the same, obviously, right? And a lot of these elite coaches, you see that. So, hey, if you're if you're respected, um, which Beard is, if you've got a great eye for talent in a coaching standpoint, and then hey, you can pay a lot. Okay, let's roll. That you're you're going three out of three there. So. I think that's kind of why he's always been able to put really good staffs together. Kind of wrapping this piece of it up, it was reported, I believe, either earlier today or yesterday that Brian Berg, as you mentioned earlier, will join Beard staff at Ole Miss. I believe that was Jeff Goodman at uh, Stadium. Just speculation, guess, educated speculation, whichever way you want to go to it. I don't want to like hold your feet to the fire as like you reporting it, obviously. I think most people understand that. Where do you think he goes with the rest of the staff? you have any idea? Um, no, I mean, I think that the, you can make some guesses. So, um, th- what I would look at is, um, I would Berg, obviously I think that thing's done, but I would look at maybe some others from Georgia Southern because, um, Berg had two assistants on his staff that worked for Beard at Texas Tech. So always keep an eye on that. There's connections there. And then you would keep an eye as well on Texas Tech. They're without a coach right now. Um, some of those guys have worked for Beard in the past. He's got connections. So those are the first two places I would look. But I'll be honest, this staff is probably um, going to be a little bit bigger than what we've seen in the past for Ole Miss basketball. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of guys that have worked for I, – I would actually say the vast majority, if not all, of these guys are going to be people that have you know, worked for Beard um, in the past. And so – um, you know, that's that. I mean, I am, am very biased here, but, um, you know, one person that I would I would look at if I was Chris is, is Bill Armstrong. And the the piece there that's interesting is Will Wade got um, the McNeese job and then they did kind of a little small suspension yeah. for him as he goes into it. So maybe they felt comfortable with what's going to happen from an NCAA standpoint. Bill was ranked the third best assistant in the SEC and top 15 nationally um, when he was at LSU. And so having a guy like that back that knows the Oxford landscape, can recruit, um, you know, can keep a locker room together. That's one that if I was if I was Chris, I would take a really hard look at. We'll get back to Bracken Ray in just a second, but before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest online therapy service. BetterHelp has helped match 3 million people professionally with licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. It's affordable too. Sometimes it's just nice to talk to someone. Life doesn't really come with the user manual. So when it's not working for you, maybe you feel a little bit stuck. It's easy to just talk to someone. It helps a bunch. 
There's all kinds of benefits to therapy. BetterHelp is a fully proven online therapy service that'll connect you with a licensed therapist online. Again, you don't even have to be on camera if you don't want to. And they can help you with coping skills, how to overcome trauma, all kinds of different things to make sure your brain, your body, and your mind are functioning at peak capacity. Check them out, betterhelp.com. Use the promo code MPW and that'll get you 10% off. The podcast is also brought to you by Athletic Green. Athletic Greens is a comprehensive nutrition solution formulated to support whole body health with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients. I'm not always the best about eating right. I don't always give the body, the new my body, the nutrients it needs. I tried BetterHelp, take it in the morning, AG1 before uh, coffee, really helps get the day going. And I know my body has all the nutrients it needs to function at peak capacity. You should give it a try too. It's delicious. It is easy. You can take it in the morning, whenever, on the go. Athletic Greens. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens has given you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs for your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash mpw. That's athleticgreens.com slash mpw to check it out. All right, back to Bracken Ray. One of the... the uh, things I noticed at the press conference today, and I'm of course not the only one that noticed this, is the players and staff currently in attendance, or I could say current players and staff, whatever you want to call it, the, from the 2022 team, they're in attendance for the press conference. And it was Jamie and Brakefield was there. Matthew Morell is there. Brakefield has entered the portal. Uh, again, I'm playing catch up and I didn't do my normal pod prep. I don't believe Morell has entered the transfer portal yet. Is that correct? I, maybe I have that wrong. Morell, I've not seen anything on Breakfield. I have. Yeah, I knew I knew Breakfield had entered the portal, and that's definitely significant. And then I saw somewhere else, a couple people on our board said that Deshaun Ruffin was in attendance for the press conference too. Yeah. I did not see that personally myself, but hey, we'll run with it. We're all just one big happy family yeah. here at Rumble Grove. What do you make of the players that were in attendance today? Do you make anything of that at all, particularly with the guy like Breakfield who had entered his name into the portal? Yeah, look, I mean, I wouldn't overanalyze it. Um, I think there were a couple other, like, role-player guys that were there as well. It is my opinion, just with with keeping up with Beards, um, like watching Texas and Texas Tech play, keeping up with his philosophy and stuff like that, Ruffin would surprise me a little bit um, because of what they do defensively, what Beard does defensively with him being so undersized. That one – would surprise me a little bit. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, if I'm in that seat, I'd love to have Breakfield and I'd love to have Morell back. Um, Breakfield quietly had a really good year. And Particularly after people stopped paying attention, right? I just wanted to add that. 1, 1, last six games, he was awesome. 1,000%. 1,000%. Um, so, but, you know, just from a – and it, it, this is even less about beard and more about just what's there. I mean, there's really only three or four high major dudes on that roster right now. So imagining that, you know, he keeps more than that amount would surprise me a little bit. I'll throw two more names at you because this has been a discussion over the last couple of days as people kind of speculate about this. And some of it leads me back to the uh, the days when Lane took over in the post-Luke staff where, like, you had guys yeah. like Momo Sonogo and Jacquez Jones who were very productive players on bad defenses. But one thing Weldon taught me in, in my kind of more trained eye in watching football now is there's a difference between, you know, good elite caliber players 
and productive players. And so the couple of names that I think probably remain that you didn't mention there were James White and Amari Abram. Do you see either one of those as candidates to remain on the staff or does that kind of fall into the, hey, they were productive, but somebody had to get buckets and minutes on this team. How do you view them? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what Beard's philosophy or what his approach is going to be with those two. What I would do is, um, I, I'm not sure. I would lose a lot of sleep over James White. I think he would be really uh, productive in like a mid-major plus program. Um, so maybe like Conference USA or AAC. Um, I feel like that'd be a really good fit for him. He is long, and from a body standpoint, you know, he could fit into what Beard's done. He's just um, a little one-dimensional uh, offensively. If you kind of soft close out on him, it, it he becomes really one-dimensional. He can't do a whole lot. I'm a big Amari Abram fan, though. Um, I think Amari needs to be a little bit more engaged defensively, which would be expected playing under Beard. Um, he's not super quick, but – when he walked on the floor day one this year, he's got, I mean, he's all every bit of six, three, six, four as a combo guy. He's strong. He's physical. He's really good at getting to a spot. Um, and so that's one that I would make a run for really and truly it's, it, it, you know, p- perfect scenario is, Hey, they got the two high school guys, Burks and Rashad Marshall. I really am high on Rashad Marshall. I think it's going to take him a year, but he, he's a really good player. So they've already gotten commitments back from them. Then if you can go get Brake, Morell, and and Abram and have them stay, and then you know go find eight dudes on your own, I think that that I think that that may be the formula um, to have success in year one. Give us a little bit more insight, kind of uh, I'd say insight information color on Beard's philosophy as a head coach or his style of play. Yeah. It's a little slower pace from an offensive standpoint. It is very clear that defense is one a requirement and emphasis to be putting it mildly. Hell, his yeah. defensive coordinator replaced him um, when he left from Texas right. Tech to Texas. At, no longer the head coach there for, uh, I would say, a myriad of reasons. But <laughs> point being, inf- defense is a must, a requirement, and emphasis. He said as yeah. much today in his press conference. I'll shift to the offensive side, though, because I think that's a little more interesting. It's a little slower pace. It's a little more bogged down. I think someone who asked a question at the press conference today, like said, they talked to a coach that like, I think described it as like structured freedom or something like that. I'm probably butchering that quote. How do you describe how he plays offense? Yeah. So offensively um, look, and and here's the thing I want fans to know is like, this is not going to be uh, Rod Barnes, Grant McCaslin, like super slow tempo. It's just, they're going to be kind of average from a tempo standpoint. Um, so Beard is a is a Bob Knight guy. Beard works for Bob and then I believe Pat as well at Texas Tech. And Bob Knight is the, you know, is the motion offense guru. So they're going to run a lot of motion offense where they're going to kind of catch defenses lazy by screening and cutting. Um, his guys are positionless, so you'll see some four out one in, but some five out stuff as well. It's really a Bob Knight motion with a little bit of a wrinkle to it. Chris Beard has, you know, if there are 30 boxes you can check as a college basketball coach, he checks all of them except for elite offensively. There, he's not bad. He's not bad. But I think, you know, him and his, the thing for him being competitive is he's a defensive guy at heart, kind of like defensive coaches who get head coaching gigs. He's a defensive guy at heart. But I think, he himself would like to see 
that offense kind of take the next step from a coaching standpoint. Um, so I, they will be efficient. It's not going to be slow. It's not going to be fast. Um, but that's kind of what it's going to look like. And he's going to – it's going to be positionless. Um, it, he'll have a bigger – his group from a player standpoint will be bigger than what we've experienced at Ole Miss. Um, so that's kind of what it looks like on offense. I kind of want to transition now to what happened today as we record this later on a Tuesday night in the press conference. I know you, you tuned in. Tonight. You don't you don't want to uh, you don't want to talk about defense. I mean, I know we got Lane Kiffin as the football coach and we got to we got to go fast. So we we don't we don't want to talk defense. You know what? You're right. It's 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 a that's 50% of the game. It's like the special <laughs> team thing. It's, of like the game. it's a third of the game. Uh go ahead. Give me what's he do defensively? Kind of give me your give me your yeah. what he is defensively as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. So, um the year they went to the national championship and Ken Palm, Ken Palm has a, you know, statistic on adjusted defensive percentage. They were number one in the country in adjusted defensive percentage. Opponents shot um, 29% from three. And so the average would be like 34% and then 42% from the field. So, I mean, he th- defensively, if you watch, if you look at, if you ask high school and college coaches, you know, who do you try to learn from and watch defensively to learn? Their names are, you know, Tony Bennett at Virginia and Chris Beard. Um, and so what Beard does, we can talk about this now, Rippy, because we're a basketball school, right? We can get into X's and O's here. Hell yeah, is, say it with your chest too. Come on, come on. So um, what he likes to do is, um, a, a lot of teams, it's like, hey, are you forcing middle or are you forcing, you know, baseline? All right. So what that means is, hey, are we trying to uh, dribble penetration, you know, middle or towards the baseline? And a lot of people have this conception that Beard wants to force baseline. And it's not particularly true. The way that he runs his defenses, he actually – tries to get his players to force sideline, meaning horizontal. That just makes sense, right? Because if you're going east and west rather than towards the goal, it's going to be hard to get good looks off. Um, So his teams do a really good job of forcing sideline. Ole Miss offensively this year was very good at playing east and west because they had a hard time dribble penetrating. Um, put it mildly. Yeah, to put it mildly. But they're going to do that. Their, their primary option is going to be forced sideline. Secondary option is going to be forced baseline. And they overemphasize on help defense. So they help aggressively early and often and have are really good at rotations from a defensive standpoint. Um, they normally are very, like high up there and taking charges. So if that's one of your things, you'll see a lot of that. Um, and then what he's probably known for the most is – um, with his guys being kind of positionless on both sides of the floor, which which will kind of tail into how he recruits as well, they do one of two things. They will switch one through five on ball screens, and then they'll also do what's called icing a ball screen. So if the guard is on the left wing and you know the four or five man comes up to set a ball screen, what the defensive guard's going to do is he's going to jump to the hip of the guard with the ball and try to force him away from the ball screen. Okay. So he's going to try to force him away from the ball screen back towards that sideline or baseline, which you see a lot of times in college basketball 
is um, the defender will go over the ball screen and the ball screen defender will go up the floor or what we call hedging the ball screen. For Beard, what he likes to do is, hey, that defender is going to jump and force the um, offensive player dribbling away from the ball screen, and then the ball screen defender is going to stay under or stay tagged uh, to the big man setting the ball screen, so he's kind of below the area. Um, they're really good at it. It's it's so hard to coach, and what's impressive about it that Beard does that I don't see a lot is he will switch ball screens on one side of the floor, and then when the rotation happens to the second side of the floor, they'll ice ball screens. And trying to get 18 to 22-year-olds to go from switching ball screens and then icing on the other side is super hard to do. But it, it, he's going to put on a coaching clinic from, from a defensive standpoint, um, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I can tell from the way you described that, which was very impressive, that you are a fan of that. Has it been emulated anywhere else? Like, have you seen the tentacles of what he's done defensively emulated anywhere else since? I haven't I haven't seen anybody do it um, with the success that he does. Like I said, hey, you know, a lot of people will switch. And, and what happens is, and you from your uh, half player, half coach high school days, Brian, oh, Scott, yeah. you, may re- you may remember this, but if you get into uh, a defensive possession and let's say it's a 15 or 20 second possession and you switch one through five the whole time, I'll, I'll go trivia with you on a second or here. If you're um, setting the ball screen and um, your guy, the, the defenders keep switching as the ball screen setter, what are you eventually going to do? Run me through that again. Remember, I'm slow. All right. All right. All right. So you're, um, you're on offense. Okay. So we'll okay. say you're the coach in this situation. You're on offense and you see that, uh, you're running a lot of ball screen action, and you see that the defensive team, your opponent, keeps switching the screens. What are you going to tell your big man to do if they keep switching the screens? Post. So you're going to you're going to slip towards the goal. Yeah. So even kind of before you go up, and even and sometimes even before your feet are set for that ball screen, you're going to slip. Okay, and so it, it works. But where beards, what beards so good at is. There's so much help side defense clogged up around the lane that even if you slip, you know, there's really nowhere to go. And then the second piece of it is like switch on one side of the floor and then ice on the other side of the floor. And so you have no idea what's coming or or where to go. And it really, you know, it's kind of like one of those uh, chess, not checkers, defensive coordinators in football where they're like disguising coverage and it rattles the quarterback. That's what's going to happen to a lot of opposing offenses. This is good shit. I mean, that you sure you don't want to get back into coaching? The last thing I'll ask you on this, if you want to go real knee deep into it, of like you mentioned switching. I mean, uh, switching on one side, icing on the other. How is that determined? Like what? What? Like you mentioned it confusing other offenses. Like how does he determine that on a given possession? To the best of your knowledge. All right. So here, this is this is my guess on how he does this. My guess would be using the example of. You've got a guard on the left side of the floor who has a ball screen to go middle. So the guard, guard's okay. on the left side of the floor but will dribble right. My guess would be um, when they're doing both of them, it's both the switch and the ice. 
if they're icing originally and they're pushing you to the left side or to sideline, it's somebody who they are that they're very weak handed with their left hand. That would be one of the things I think, you know, there's other things um, with some of like the ability of the post players as well, um, what they can do. But he's really trying to going east and west the whole time. You can't ever dribble penetrate. Right. And you've got to have touches, in, you know, you got to get touches inside the paint. So, you know, that's that's a small thing is maybe if he's doing both the, the ice and the switch inside of the offense, maybe it's a it's kind of a, hey, somebody really strong with their right hand and not with their left. So and I, I, this just made me think of this in the moment as you describe all of this and you talk about like kind of the hard, how hard it is to do but one, how hard it is for opponents and two, how much it can confuse them. I kind of joking, not jokingly, but I asked you earlier, like, has it been emulated anywhere else? I've always wondered with like the coaching stuff where you see a guy that's clearly kind of a tactical advantage, whether it's kind of that inside zone run scheme with Kyle Shanahan. It's like, well, why are more teams doing this? Like, why is that not something that's been seen and he done it and he, he's done it and he had that much success and you haven't seen another coach at another staff and as someone that's worked on a staff, I'm just curious, like, why is that not something where it's like, hey, why don't we try this shit? Like, what is, what look, is that? Mean? Yeah, and look, here's the deal. And look, there, there are high school teams that um, can do some of this stuff. It is so – and he, he joked today in his press conference. I thought it was great. There's always this viral video that goes out on Twitter of new college basketball coaches and press conferences saying culture. Yeah. Because every single one of them does it. And he kind of made fun of himself and that video at the same time by saying, hey, culture, I know it's this overblown word, blah, blah, blah. But that – the way he um, teaches defense – is not only like the Lane Kiffin offensive guru mindset thing, but it's probably just as much, if not more, into getting his guys to buy into it. And that's what a lot of, a lot of other college coaches have issues with. Last question on the schematic piece of it. Would he have, as the author of the most famous assist in the history of basketball yourself, would he have left me in the corner or immediately doubled? No, I think he would have gone over the ball screen because he knew you were a shooter. Yeah, that's fair to say the least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so kind of the last thing I kind of want to transition to is the what happened today. Again, as we record this on a Tuesday night in the press conference aspect of it, because I'd be remiss if we went, you know, the hour doing the whole Chris Beard thing and kind of not brushed up at least some on the circumstances. We haven't talked to you about this is he gets announced today. I thought it was a pretty damn good crowd of the amount of people there. It reminded me of the hey, late. Did it? Did it look? Did did it kind of? Did it kind of remind you of like walking into the beacon? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They're not checking IDs. Everyone was twenty-one or older. If that's what you're alluding to. Uh, yes, it very much reminded me of that. I would call it a good crowd. It's had some similar Lane Kiffin 2019 press conference vibes. I know th this is a little different because the students weren't there. They're all half drunk on a beach and somewhere uh, where the drinking age is 18 or shooting fish into a barrel down at Whale's Tail and Destin. But it was a good crowd. People were very clearly excited about Ole Miss basketball again, and that's part of what this hire brings. I mean, I was surprised a little bit that Keith Carter didn't do the whole splash or injection of life thing that he talked about with the Lane Kiffin piece of it. But he gets hired today. It was clearly there was going to need needed to be some strategy done in terms of the way you packaged this hire. 
they did it on Monday and look, there's no, I'm not critiquing this in any way. Like I was curious, like, I don't know why not drop it in the middle of selection Sunday. Nobody's talking about it. Do the press conference Monday, boom, you know, forgotten by Thursday um, in terms of negative press with the NCAA tournament, but whatever teach their own that's picking nits to some degree. It was very well received. He's a very good public speaker, speaker, which Keith Carter is in his own right too, by the way, I'm not sure he gets enough credit for that. I thought he was very good at the podium today too. And then he goes into the press conference afterward and I would say from, and this is not like a criticism of anyone locally, but there were some very kind of specific questions that danced around it. And yeah. then Top of Meyer of USA Today, who I was actually sitting next to, um, they, they tried to avoid him as long as they could. He eventually got kind of called on and asked and asked a couple follow-ups. That was kind of a savvy uh, Big J move because he knew he wasn't getting that microphone again, for the lack of a better <laughs> phrase, but really took him to task on the details of the police report that night. I got go to a no, number of different ways. How did you think Ole Miss has handled the PR of it so far? Yeah, I, I thought that um, the way that I would put it is they've seemed prepared. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that they, they've been prepared on that piece. Um, you know, one thing that I was a little surprised, didn't get asked, that um, it's probably in the back of everybody's head um, with Lane is like, hey, like, how long are you going to be here? Yeah. Right? Like, that's the, that's the thing. And I was kind of thinking about this today because in these, like, coaching changes, you kind of reminisce and think back a little bit. Um, you know, the, 11 years ago, Terrence Henry was a senior, and I think Ole Miss had been to one tournament in 11 years. Um, I don't think its coach was making a million dollars. It was in the worst arena in the SEC. It had the lowest P5 assistant pool in the country. Today, Ole Miss, um, I would guess, has a top 20 head coach and assistant salary in the country. It has a top 10 facility in the country. It's one of the best campuses and towns in the country. It's in the best conference in the country. And it now has a top five coach in the country. And so I've gotten text past week now of how, how long is he here, right? Nobody knows the answer to that question. But think about how much this job has changed in the past year since the pavilion was built, since Kermit got, you know, three million and then uh, you know, some SEC network money, got the assistant salary up. A lot of boxes that are being checked right now. Um, and I even heard somewhere recently that Ole Miss from a P&L and expense standpoint is very similar to Tennessee basketball. So the answer to the question of how long is Chris Beard going to be here, I think comes down to two things. I think it comes down to attendance, which when you're winning at Ole Miss and when you're even bubbly, Attendance is pretty damn good. I've always been impressed with our students. The second one is NIL. If Ole Miss has Arkansas's NIL pool, I, I really think this guy will be here four or five plus years. I really do. If it's just kind of bottom of the pack, that's where you, you know, it, it, he may he may start looking. So a lot of this, Keith has the, the ball being in Keith's court, these salaries, you know, uh, Keith was head of fundraising uh, when the pavilion came around. Keith has done a lot of work to make this job better than what it is. 100%. The NIL piece, the NIL piece, that is in the fans' hands. 
that's in corporate sponsorships hands. So that is the one variable that listening, we, us, whatever can control is this NIL piece. And if people can really get on board for NIL um, at the basketball level that we did for football, right? It's, it's a relatively speaking, the basketball level for football, you know, going to the sweet 16 is, is not something crazy to think about in a couple of years. Um, you know, consistently going to the tournament, selling out every year, having McDonald's All-Americans here, those kinds of things. If you want that, let's increase this NIL thing and let's roll. And along that note, because you're dead on with all of that and you perfectly tra- led into what I was going to ask you about the NIL piece of it is like, that's kind of what this all comes down to now is, look, he's a great coach and you probably found one of the very few dudes that even if NIL sucked, the guy's probably going to find a way to win a lot of basketball games or be very competitive in what is arguably the most competitive league in college basketball. But the NIL piece of it is what could take that to the next level, which would in turn instill long-term success in which would in turn keep Beard in Oxford for longer. And one of the differences, I think one of the many differences, I think between Beard and Kiffin is that Beard talked about how much he loves Oxford and how much he can't wait to ingrate himself in, in the community. And this is not necessarily a criticism of Lane, but Lane is always keeping praise, kind of taking the LeBron path. If I'm always going to keep pressure of my superiors in the at the place I'm at, and Lane was never going to be a guy that was going to back. I love it here, blah blah blah, and kind of do the I would say, for the lack of a better phrase, lovey dovey piece of that. From a college basketball standpoint, as you've worked in this industry, like I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this. Like Beard, would he have stayed at Texas Tech longer if his alma mater, Texas, had not come open? Because it sounded like they were developing all of the pieces that you were talking about. Say the Texas gig doesn't come open for five more years, would Beard have turned that into a seven, eight-ish year stop, in your opinion? Like, can you uh, see uh, more uh, thinking yeah. on that? I think two types of jobs that Beard would have taken away from Texas Tech. One is and it was rumored for years in the industry when I worked there that if Texas ever came open and they offered, he would go. So one is, hey, Texas. Two is Blue Bloods. That's the only thing I think he was leaving Tech for, is Texas or a Blue Blood job. Um, and so, you know, there there's only a handful of Blue Bloods. Um, some Blue Bloods I don't think even years down the road would be comfortable hiring him. Some Blue Bloods – in the state of North Carolina, just hire new coaches, right? So if you look at it, it goes back. If you can get this NIL thing to a really good level, I think you can really buy your son, uh, buy yourself some time here. And it only takes a couple dudes. You know, he's really good. He'll go get dominant or rough. He's, he's, a, he's a Juco guy at heart. It just takes a few dudes to really get this thing rolling. And he's probably a guy more inclined to be, find comfort and feel comfortable in a community like Oxford versus a guy like Lane, right? That's a guy that would value that more than Lane, which I would put at close to zero, no matter what he wants to say. Again, not a criticism of Lane at all. It's just they're two different people wired two different ways. I mean, he talked about being the open book and the relationship aspect of it. Like, don't you think he'd be more susceptible to kind of finding comfort in Oxford and enjoying the atmosphere of the town and all of that? Not a kind of that Pollyanna stuff more so than other coaches would. Yeah, and honestly, Lane is a little bit of an anomaly in that way. You know, he's just so, like, kind of against and resisting talking to that. Um, But like I said, I think uh, embracing the community 
and media standpoint, Beard is going to lean a lot more Mike than he is Lane. Yeah. I mean, in Mike's, as you mentioned, it was kind of a modern version of Mike in a lot of ways with that, which kind of leads me to what I wanted to get into. Again, I keep kind of dancing around it is Ole Miss's justification for this hire. I've written about this extensively. We don't have to go over all the details of what happened on December 12th, 2022. Again, I've written about it ad nauseum. And basically a couple of the two columns I've written on this on my Substack newsletter that is free, by the way, is just here's what happened that night. All the charges were dropped. His fiance recanted the statement. Um, there's a police affidavit that lists, you know, visible signs of injury. You can go find it and read it if you want to. There's a varying degrees of like what I feel about how this has played out from a hiring standpoint. And I guess we'll start with the with the national media side of it. What's interesting to me is that from a national college basketball media side of it, there's been very little um I hate to call it pearl clutching because that makes it sound unjustified, but there's been very little discussion around what happened to him at Texas Tech. I mean, uh, excuse me, at Texas. Like I, the example I'll use is when the charges were dropped on February 16th, Jeff Goodman just pretty much kind of went on his business as usual. He's like, look, charges are dropped. Beard's going to be in the mix for some jobs. Here's a couple jobs. And I think he mentioned Ole Miss as a possibility. Do you think that part of that speaks to the relationship he has within college basketball media? Because I feel like with some other guys that are less liked, and I don't know, I, I can't pick out an example off the top of my head, that the discussion about what happened that night would dominate the narrative and the conversation more amongst college basketball media, more yeah. so than it did here. Did any piece of that surprise well, you? Yeah, and I'll speak less to the, the December thing and more to his relationships. We kind of talked about the relationships he has with coaches. With media – dealing with college basketball coaches and you probably have even more exposure to the college football po uh, coaches piece. It is refreshing when you're dealing with the coach, the CEO of a program that lacks arrogance. And I think for Beard, he's kind of the same dude as he was when he was head of Angelo state D2 and these JUCO coaches, and, you know, in Lubbock for 12 years and assist, as an assistant. And so I think that, you know, he's been involved with the game and coached a lot of different places, and, and, you know, he's a grinder. And all those things, plus, like, his accessibility, his, you know, there's stories that you can read about, like, media people calling him after a game um, – or after whatever it is and not realizing when they call him that it's like two o'clock in the morning. And like, he picks up and answers the phone when media, you know, calls him. And like, that is just not, you don't see that um, with a lot of these coaches. So I think he's bought himself some respect um, from media members just for kind of that lack of arrogance. And your guy AK had some of that too. I was very young on the reporting side of things toward the end of AK, and I don't pretend to know him very well, certainly not as well as you do, but like he was well liked. Um, he was very genuine. And look, it's a complicated thing with all of this. I believe from what the little I've seen so far and kind of everything I read, Beard to be a genuine person. That doesn't mean he's without flaws. That doesn't mean he did something, has never done something very bad. That doesn't mean what he did that night wasn't very bad. He does seem very genuine. And I think that goes a long way in kind of the narrative that we we're talking about and how this became, again, in basketball media circles, a little bit more matter of the fact or matter of fact, I should say. The other piece of it I wanted to get to was 
Obviously, you knew when you made this hire, there was going to be some backlash. I would argue it's been much lighter than I thought. I mean, you haven't seen the Dan Wolken column yet that you have to click through 95 pop-up ads to read, but just kind of pearl clutching about the whole thing. Um, I did see something where Stu Mandel today, um, I, he's, I don't know what he's doing other today other than helping the athletic hemorrhage money that called it one of the most disgusting hires he's ever seen in all of his years of college sports. My God, man, not saying the dude's an angel, but for, for the love of God, let's have a little bit of perspective here. But like that piece of it, you knew that that was going to come. I thought that piece of it has probably been lighter than I anticipated it being so far. Um, again, there's so much nuance to be involved here. And nuance is not necessarily great for the modern sports discussion, particularly on the internet, right? I guess I wrote in the column, if you're uncomfortable with this hire, I don't have any retort for you. Like that, that you, you're well within your right to to be uncomfortable with it and if you don't think he should get another job okay great I, I can't argue with that I don't really have much of a retort but at the end of the day like how far does that go a guy that was again had a whatever happened that night evidence police affidavits be damned it's a guy that's never had any sort of criminal charges stick to him and never being convicted so how far does that go does he never work ever again again that's a conversation for another day what I wanted to get to with that piece of it was the fact that beyond that kind of predictable amount of criticism, you work in the worked in the industry. You're very connected. You were very connected on this search. This guy was getting hired somewhere this year, was he not? If not Ole Miss, it was happening somewhere else. What was your read on his candidacy other places had Ole Miss not done this? Yeah, I mean, there was a national sentiment out there that, you know, if, if Ole Miss had not done this, um, there was going to be one of two things happen. He was either going to get kind of a low to mid-major gig or sit out a year and probably get a P5 gig the next year. That's kind of what was the the, the talk um, that, you know, was kind of circulating around. So did you ever buy into the whole uh, assistant and then take the Bob Huggins route? Was that like how much, how much legitimacy was I, there? I, I, I mean, I, I did buy that. I, I thought that that, um, that in my head just kind of made sense. And like, I, you know, Huggins isn't going to be coaching forever. So like, you know, a, an analyst or assistant role and like a head coach in, in waiting thing. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know that to be true. That's what was out there on Twitter, so to speak. But when that popped in my head, I was like, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I thought that was an interesting route too. And right. Like, I mean, you could do the assistant thing and, Look for not that it makes the current situation any better or what happened the night any better. Time does tend to kind of soften the blow on things like that when people like that re-enter the arena. It's very fa- it's a very fascinating like human discussion where it's like we often like punish ourselves socially, where it's like I after three years it's acceptable for this guy to enter this industry again in this public sphere. But anyway, be that as it may, he was going to get hired somewhere. And Ole Miss took advantage of that. And you can criticize them for it or you can think it's a smart thing, whatever. I'm not necessarily here to have that conversation today. But one of the things that stuck out was Keith Carter. I think he's – I had this quote written down, but now I can't find my notebook. Is He basically said, no one loves this basketball program more than me. He went out and made it out of his way to multiple times say that this university has a rich tradition of basketball – or excuse me, of athletics history and athletic success. And basketball is oftentimes – been without that consistent success. And I found all of that to be very fascinating. And at the core of all of this, I think the reason to have the 
balls without kind of make, I don't mean to make it sound like I'm giving him like a you know medal of freedom here for courage or anything, but to make a ballsy, risky, controversial, whatever adjective hire you want to make is this probably doesn't happen. If your AD is not a basketball alum who can't stand to see this nice building and this program that he played in the glory years of become completely irrelevant and not have consistent success, right? This doesn't happen without Keith Carter, a basketball alum being the AD, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that piece is is true. Um, I mean, I also think that the you know there's an angle to look at it that, um, you know, a month ago and really starting at Christmas, it was known that this job was going to open, and yeah. I think that it was kind of, you know, if you told me that there was mutual proactiveness from both sides, normally when you think about it, like you know, think about you and corporate America, normally somebody is reaching out to you, right? And then you have an interview, whatever the case may be. If you was if you were to tell me that there was, you know, proactive interest from both sides, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me either. Um, so, uh, you know, basketball, you know, I do think that this has been eaten at him. Um, and we also avoided, um, you know, the pavilion being called Dusty Seats if Dusty May was here and was losing. Oh, that's so good. That is diabolically good. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, I think we we dodged a bullet there. But I think that this was, you know, I do think this was e- eating at Keith and that him and Alan, you know, said, hey, let's let's look through this thing and, and see if this is something we can do. You've enjoyed Ole Miss basketball for probably as long as any 27-year-old. I think, are you 27? Did I date you by a year? Yeah, you got me by a couple months, so we'll, we'll let it we'll let it slide. Sorry, I turned twenty eight last Thursday, and like I forgot it was my <laughs> birthday five times until someone else texted me again. Usually a family member. And I was like, Jesus, it's just a it's just a date on the calendar at this point. But you've been you've enjoyed Ole Miss basketball. You've been invested in Ole Miss basketball. You've worked for the program. This type yeah. of consistent success that appears to be on the precipice with this is kind of everything that basket Ole Miss basketball guys have imagined, dreamed of you know, Pollyanna thought was possible period. Like speak to that. I don't really have a great way to ask that. Right. I mean, this is something that's decades in the making in terms of people that have put their blood, sweat and tears in the program and not yet been able to get that consistent success. It feels like now or never from that standpoint, does it not? Yeah, absolutely. And look, we talked about this, you know, when we talked about um, coaching searches and I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, but this seemed like the best time in the history of the program to be hiring a coach because of some of those things that I listed earlier, right? Hey, top 20 salary, town, school, facilities, all that stuff. Well, even if it was Dusty or McCaslin or whatever, probably still would have been a top 30, 35 salary. So there's just a lot of boxes that are checked right now. I think the university's brand is at a very national level right now. You've got national championship Omaha in baseball. You've got Lane and football rolling. You know, the school gets a ton of good publicity for the campus and the town and the accounting school. And so basketball just hasn't had that takeoff yet. And a lot of resources have been dumped into it. And so the big question is, how do we get a CEO of the program in the door that can get us to the next level? Um, like I said at the beginning of this pod, I, I think Ole Miss, and I'm not saying we're going to be, you know, a uh, uh, two seed, but I think Ole Miss is going to hear their name called on Selection Sunday next year. I have no idea what the roster looks like. 
That's how much confidence I have in Chris Beard. I have no idea. Morell and Brakefield and Abram may all leave. We know we got two high school guys staying. So, hey, two out of 13 right now. Two out of 13, and I think that Ole Miss will hear their name on Selection Sunday next year. Which is, again, the probably the perfect way to put a bow on that hire. One last note I did, uh, I want to get a couple quick March Madness thoughts from me before I keep you till 11 o'clock at night. But the last note that I did forget to mention was one of the things about, I forgot about being a big J, is they just laid out the contract terms for you at one of these press conferences. So I did my part. I picked up the sheet of paper. Um, my fiance's mom actually asked me this the last night on Monday night. I was like, what is he getting paid? And I said, I don't know. I guess between somewhere two and three million dollars a year, that's probably pretty incentive ridden. And then I mentioned kind of some contract language that if something happens again, they could probably get out of that pretty easily. He's making three uh three million two hundred fifty thousand dollars in 2023. That increases by a hundred thousand dollars through 2026. Your standard Mississippi four-year contract. Congrats to whatever asshole yep. made that law. Um, that hasn't worked out in old Mrs. Favor in a long time. Were you surprised or was this right around the ballpark that you thought of what the compensation would be, that they're going to pay him $3 million and change with presumably a very competitive assistant pool? And I'm just assuming that because he's probably not taking this gig if he's hamstrung assistance-wise. What did you make of his salary yeah. in the contract terms? I, I thought it would be in the 2-5 to 3 range, um, so it's a little bit higher than what I thought it would be. I, I don't mind the um, – I don't mind it being what it is because – Others, you pri he's pricing himself out of other jobs. Um, and what I mean by that is this may be a year or two dated, but three million here used to be like twenty fifth. So if you were if you were making three mil a year, uh, you were the twenty fifth highest paid coach in college basketball. So it's like what the five to seven million dollar threshold is now in college football, or as we change into this crazy money numbers used to be two years ago, that type of thing. That's a big number. Yeah, threshold. yeah, yeah. So um, you you kind of it kind of prices some people out where they're like, hey, we can't we can't do this. Um, so you know, I think if you've got the money, do it. Um, and. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the thing. It, it surprised me. It's about a quarter of a million more than I thought it would be, but I don't think it's a bad move either. He was paid – his contract at Texas was six-year, $52 million. So that's what, five point – Five and change uh, a year? Five and change a year. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that that's real money. I mean that's real, real money. He he was his average salary was a quarter of a million more than Sark's. Ooh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's a and again a competitive salary by Ole Miss. It's an exciting hire. It's it's it's. I'm excited to kind of see where it goes from how quickly he can have success here. And he, he didn't shy away from that by any stretch. He talked about how quickly they're going to have success. And he said, I promise it's coming sooner than later. I believe was his exact quote today. Before I let you get out of here, I did want to get just, I mean, it is March Madness. We sit here on the eve, eve of the start of the NCAA tournament. I know they got first four games going on right now, States playing or whatever, but what'd you make of the bracket? I thought they did pretty well for the most part. You didn't, I didn't watch, I was on a plane ride back during the selection show. So I didn't get to see a lot of kind of the dramatic reaction, but it didn't seem like there was a ton of, uh, you know, Dickie V going on and saying how much the 
sport disgrace yeah. school for not getting in the tournament. You think they got it pretty right? What'd you make of the bracket? What do you they think did, of the sport? But no, they, they, they did. I think this was one of the easiest years ever to do it because of the lack of bid stealers. So I think this was the least amount of bid stealers um, that, that there's been in a super long time. One that one that's kind of funny, I guess it's not a bid stealer because it's more of a one bid league, but Texas Southern won their championship and they were 12 and 20 this year. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's kind of crazy. Um, but Is I that think the it SWAC? Was, that's right. The, the SWAC. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was um, I thought it was pretty good. Something tells me like this may be Kelvin Sampson's year to get it done. So that's the that, that's kind of the one. I mean, obviously they're you know one seed anyway, but something I just get this feel like he deserves one before he goes out. So that's kind of the team that I've got my eye on. But I think they did a pretty good job with the bracket, and um, you know there's some games on some first four tonight. So excited to get to see those. They had, yeah, and Samson's had some, at Houston had some March heartache. So that would be kind of a very destructive storyline. I got to say, I got a theory to throw out at you. So there was a lot of talk about Texas A&M getting the seven seed. And I saw Goodman kind of had the thought of like, they're punishing them for a terrible non-conference schedule. I don't know what the theory is on that. Do you think the committee got a little more froggy? You know, usually the committee's very, basketball is very cut and dry. Like basketball, they excuse me, baseball, they can kind of play into some storylines and finagle around because there's not as much media coverage and they can kind of do whatever they want. Did the committee in your mind get a little more froggy with storylines this year? you got Texas A&M as a seven seed in the same bracket of Texas as a two. You got Alabama and Auburn, a nine seed. Auburn in Birmingham. Treatment going to Birmingham. Did you notice them at all getting a little more froggy with the storylines and the compelling nature of things versus just the nuts and bolts seeding of things? Do you buy into that at all? I mean, look, it's there's humans on the committee, so I do think there's some subjectiveness. Um, like you said, A&M probably should have been a five or six. And then Bam and Auburn with essentially home games, you know, in in Birmingham. I don't love Auburn's team this year, but I actually have them winning that first game just because it's a they're playing Iowa, who's solid. But it's I mean, that's like a five or six point swing um, getting to play in front of a crowd like that. So. Yeah, maybe there was a little bit of subjectiveness, but there wasn't the like polar there wasn't as many polarizing topics and you know who got in and who didn't this year. So I think for the most part they got it right. And then Auburn, if I'm not mistaken on how this is going to work, they will play Houston in the one eight uh in Birmingham. Is that correct? Or did I have that wrong? I think you have that correct. Yes, yes, because Jesus, talk about I think talk I read somewhere teams. where you can buy if Bama and Auburn both won their first game, you could buy a session ticket to where you could watch both Bama and Auburn play. Talk about a sweet deal for the Bamas over there. You got any sleepers? Do you have anything mid-major? Do you have anyone to watch out for? It seems like a fairly wide open tournament. It seems like Alabama's kind of ahead, not head and shoulders, but just ahead better than everyone else. But then after that, it's kind of just a bunch of hell. I don't know what could happen. What do you make of it? Do you have any sleepers? Yeah. I, so one that I've got just to, since the picks are in to spoil my bracket or to publicize, I have both Drake as a 12 seed and Kent state winning. Um, so Drake's playing Miami, Kent state's playing Indiana and I have them playing each other. So Drake and Kent state would then play each other. I, I like both of them a lot. 
Um, Drake's got a, a damn good ball coach. He'll he'll get a P five job uh, next cycle, I would think. Um, and so that's one. That's one that I have, and then I've always liked the Utah State versus Missouri. Um, Missouri's been really good this year. I think that they've maybe – I kind of wonder if they have hit their peak and are about to decline. But what's funny is I've heard Vegas line has Utah State winning, um, and they're a 10 playing a 7 Missouri. So that's a little a little bizarre as well. Who's your final four? All right, let's see. My final four is um, – I know I've got Purdue. Let's see. See, my final four, and this is <laughs> – I've got all one seeds. So, I, I don't know. Like, that's not that's not going to happen. And I normally have a lot more switch up. I'm normally pretty good at these things. Um, here, I have no confidence in my bracket at all. Um, but yeah, I've got all the ones, so very basic. That's not going to happen, but, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see, we'll kind of see what goes about there. Last question. And this is just a, uh, this is a homage to my friend, Michael Borky, South Carolina made native. He's a big Bob Ritchie Furman guy. Do you see, can you see them beating, uh, Virginia? What do you make of the Paladins and Bob Ritchie? Yeah, Bob Ritchie's another guy. He's gonna get he's gonna get a job soon. Um, I got to watch them play in the conference championship game. I don't think that's a great matchup for them. I think Virginia obviously is gonna control the tempo and pace of that game. So I don't I don't see that one getting done. He is Bracken Ray, former Andy Kennedy staffer, Ole Miss basketball correspondent. I know we've been looking forward to doing this pod for quite a while since it was announced and I appreciate the time as always my man I kept you a while and you know here's to actually maybe doing that weekly pod we envisioned past the <laughs> month of December for the first time in a long time you think that might happen I think that may have when we're top 50 in the net going into January we may have to start doing it weekly good stuff my friend enjoy the hoops and we'll talk soon all right all right, that's going to do it for our show today I believe Colin and I will have a baseball preview as Ole Miss enters conference play on thursday yeah we'll have one for you on thursday as the rebels started thursday for saturday series with vanderbilt um probably not a ton of recap of the midweek game as i am now recording this late into the night after the tuesday chris beard press conference and watched almost none of that game in jacksonville state didn't sound like it went too well for the rebels but um regardless uh we will cover a lot of old miss baseball on that as the rebels gear up for conference play, I'll try to catch up as best I can. But uh, we got one more pod for you coming down the pipe this week. Thanks for listening and subscribing as always. And we'll talk to you here soon.